All right, I think we're live, Matthew Fairburn. I put a notification out tonight that we were going to go live at nine o'clock, and it's nine o two, which I think it's pretty good considering the ragtag setup that I had to get going tonight, Matthew Fairburn. Here tonight on the Baker Fairburn Hockey Show, data recording November 16th, 2023. Matthew, I never ask you how you're doing. How are you doing tonight? I'm well. I'm I'm better now that we're we're gonna talk some hockey. It's been a little bit since before the Minnesota game. It's been uh one of those weeks. Some of the uh some of the seasonal bugs are are trying to make their way into the Fairburn household, but we're holding up strong and uh, getting ready to, to, to celebrate Thanksgiving here. So it's been a pretty good week. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. A lot has happened. My, my picture will come back. Uh, I have a different setup going on for those watching on YouTube or, uh, you know, video streaming. My regular camera is in the shop, so to speak. So we'll figure it out. But as long as you can hear me and kind of see my silhouette, I think that's going to work for me tonight. And it gives we'll, off we'll, a real you know, after dark vibe. It's really, it's, it's driving it. Well, that's good. I have a little Bailey's and coffee tonight to navigate us through this, these tough times in Saberland. <laughs> a lot has happened, Matthew, since the last time we got together, you had mentioned that, uh, we recorded last week. We are heading into the Friday night game. I think it was against Minnesota. That was the Matthew Savoy debut. We were kind of figuring there was a high probability that we were going to see him then. Sabres win that game 3-2, and then the wheels start to kind of come off a little bit. Uh, they go into Pittsburgh the next night, and they get shut out for nothing. Then they return to work a couple days later and fall to the Boston Bruins 5-2. Boston loses guys, and they're still a machine. Unbelievable. But I think... Um, you know, Sabres fans are not happy. By the way, I'm in a bad mood tonight. I, you know, we talked for about two minutes before we hit live. I'm in an awful mood. I'm going to be nice to you. I'll probably be nice to the chat. We'll see what the flavor of the chat is. I might not be nice to the chat, but I know um, Sabres fans are not in a good mood. If you're following along on social media, I think the Bills woes and the Sabres woes is just a storm right now in Western New York. Sabres fans aren't happy though, and I think the situation definitely hasn't gotten uh, hasn't gotten any better with the news of the Tage Thompson injury, and that's probably a decent place to kick off our discussion tonight. Obviously, this is going to be a very tough situation to manage. Thompson had a really tough go there in that Boston game, didn't he? A uh, little bit of a weird collision, kind of a tripping. Action by Charlie McAvoy leaves the ice. Weren't sure what the nature of the ding was. I don't know if you have any insight on that, but then later in the game comes back. Things are looking good. I was already getting the Yuri Kulik highlight clip ready to have ready to go to tweet it out when they recalled him. And then Tage comes back and uh, blocks a shot. What was it? Third period. Yes. They were down for nothing. He for nothing, right? He's on the penalty kill. Blocks the shot. So he had had an injury early in the game. He got cut with Charlie McAvoy's skate blade mm. down near his ankle foot area. And he was good to go. He was able to play through that, would have been able to play through it. That one wasn't significant enough for him to miss time. But the blocked shot was. And it set off a 
discourse that I believe is legitimate, a legitimate discussion that's probably a good place to start is that, and I believe it's been on our topic list for a few weeks, but we haven't quite gotten to it because there's been so much to talk about, but Tage Thompson on the penalty kill to begin with, right? He's been excellent on the penalty kill this season. I don't think anybody up until the other night was wondering why is Tage Thompson on the penalty kill? He was playing well, scored a couple goals, and it seemed to be helping his five-on-five defensive game. Like Paying attention to all those details on the PK was helping him in other areas. But Don Granato, I think, you know, opened himself up to potential criticism when you have Tage Thompson on the ice up four nothing, killing a penalty. He explained today, which I thought was valid, that this was not a shot block in the traditional sense. This was poor form on Tage Thompson's part of turning his wrist outward and then getting bad luck, getting hit in the exact spot that you turn. You know, this was not Tage Thompson blocking one, you know, with the with his shins and catching it in the wrong spot. This was an avoidable situation to an extent. Something that I'm sure, you know, based on what Don Granado said today, he will think about in terms of putting the best players on the penalty kill going forward. But it, I think a lot of people were wondering why is he back, you know, up for, you know, down for nothing. I I get the ask, but I also understand that a big criticism of this Sabres team has been consistency or lack of energy or lack of jump at certain times. And Tage Thompson has been a driver pretty consistently outside of the first couple of games. I think he has been that guy setting the tone with work ethic and pace and throwing pucks at the net, all those things that, that lead to winning and he's playing good defense. So throwing in the towel at four, nothing against the Bruins also would warrant, you know, some sort of criticism. It's sort of a no win situation. If he was fine with the cut, you know, he's going to play at some point. There's risk of injury at any time. You know, it was kind of bad. It was bad luck. I don't blame Don Granato, frankly, for, for having him back on the ice. I think it would have been hard to keep Tage Thompson off the ice. Frankly, Kyle Ocposo's thousandth game. He's known him since he was a kid. He's feeling not great about the fact that his team is down for nothing. He's trying to get something going. So in the interest of all that, I don't think it was, you know, too bad of a decision, even though I understand where people are coming from in the question. I, I just thought Granado had a pretty reasoned explanation on it. All that being said, it's a problem now, right? He's going to miss about a month. And, you know, now it's about where do they go from here? What did he, how did he phrase it, Granado? When, do you remember what he said? It was less like, than not, two months. Less than two months. But not week to week. You know, not more than a couple of weeks, but less than two months, which is kind of like last year when Alex Tuck got hurt and it was a four to six week timetable. And it was not month to month, but the longer side of week to week. We could go on a whole separate conversation about hockey injuries and, and, the yeah how easy it would be to just say tage thompson broke his wrist and he will miss four to six weeks or whatever you know the normal timetable is for a broken wrist but they like to leave the door open in case a guy comes back sooner and you know they don't want to be caught 
saying something that's not quite true, but I think about a month is a safe estimation here, which is a, a good break in some ways, right? It could be a lot worse, but that is a significant amount of time that you have to figure out what you're going to do without your art. I would say your best player to this point in the season. Yeah. I mean, especially just shot attempts, you know, just so much action there he creates on the ice. So now in this next month, we'll call it a month plus, uh, you know, a month would be, I think ambitious. I don't know. Just maybe I could be wrong. I've, I've taken shots in the wrist before I've broken a wrist a month's doable, but it's, it could be longer, a little longer. So I saw your practice lines today, right? So they're moving Dylan cousins up to that spot with Skinner and tuck, I believe. And it, there's always going to be a trickle down effect though now. Right. Because and here comes my face again. It's like the bright an lights alien. are back. I don't know what the hell is going on. It's funny, man. Look at this adjusting, whatever, who cares? I'll be a chameleon. We'll just deal with it. But I guess, um, so your observations on today with how the line stacked up, I mean, I think Cousins was the logical choice unless you want to talk about Middlestat there. I mean, they already took Greenway off that line, right? The Greenway, Middlestat, Paterka unit, right? They split that trio up completely with Greenway moving down, I believe. It's all over the place right now. Do you have any observations on the lines, really? I mean, is Cousins, we think Cousins is going to excel, or would you put Casey Middlestat up there just given kind of the chemistry that happened last season when Tage was down? Middlestat would have been tempting because... I lost Multiple Matthew. There you are. You're back. Right. He's You're had... back. We... we... You know, we lost you there, Matthew. He's had this nice line with, with Greenway and Paterka. He's also had a nice line with Benson and Greenway at times. So he's been in a rhythm. And Cousins hasn't to start the season. You know, from you know, point totals, shot attempts. He has played with I have this number in front of me here. If you'll give me a second. Dylan mm -hmm. Cousins has played at least 10 minutes with nine different line mates this season. So I think that is contributing to him not quite finding a rhythm. But when you have a $7 million a year player, I think it makes sense to give him a shot to, you know, see what he can do on that top line, knowing that you can go back to Casey Middlestad if you have to. And Cousins hasn't loved playing with that shield that he has, and that's made things tricky for him. But I do feel like he was starting to find his game against Boston, getting back in a rhythm. And maybe this is the type of thing that can break him out of a funk. And you need to get him going because, especially without Tage Thompson, he becomes even more important. You know, his injury and his, you know, finding his game early in the season has contributed to some of those secondary scoring issues that we've talked about on this show the last few weeks. So putting in between, you know, some guys that can really generate, I think is a, you know, worthwhile move to try to get a spark and middle stats shown. He can, he can kind of do it with anybody at this point. So you mentioned Tage on the penalty kill. That was one of my first thoughts was what are, what are you going to do on the penalty kill now? 
because that unit was kind of cruising along. We've talked a lot about Eric Johnson being kind of an anchor back there, really making that thing hum. But at the top of the defensive box was Thompson a lot of times. That's where, of course, the shot block happened. But what are we what are we looking at now in the PK? I mean, it's been a critical component to the Sabres when they are playing well is their ability to kill penalties. And now you lose a guy that's been a big part of it. I mean, is this also a cousin spot? I mean, what it, could, it could be a cousin spot. It could be an Alex Tuck spot, but he's also working his way back from an upper body injury. He was in a, a no contact jersey at practice Thursday, today, the day we're recording here. So kind of goes back to that conversation. Are you going to be a little bit shy about throwing him out there after what happened to Tage Thompson, knowing that you don't want to lose probably your, your top two forwards here and you've already been without tuck for a while. So cousins and tuck make the most sense as, as the candidates there and tuck seems like he's good to go, but it has been a slow burn getting him back to, you know, the, the play, you know, getting him back on the ice and getting him back to, to where he was. He was finally feeling it before he got hurt. And now he's, in this no contact Jersey, it seems like they were just trying to get him, get the injury completely behind him. And odds are he'll be in the lineup Friday night against Winnipeg. And so, yeah, I think he might make some sense on the penalty kill. He gives you a lot of what Tage Thompson gives you in terms of length and an offensive threat. If he can get the, the puck on his stick. So, but that's a spot cousins could take those minutes. And we've also seen Don Granado shuffle these lines up in game. So it's kind of a guessing game at this point. Yeah, or just don't take any penalties. And then you don't have to worry about the penalty kill. Good luck, obviously. But uh, that's always also another option that you have. That solves a lot of issues when you can stay out of the box. So we've talked a lot. I mean, this is going to test that forward depth or lack thereof potentially now. You know, you were already without Jack Quinn coming into the season. Now you're losing Tage for a good chunk of the year, right when, again, that American Thanksgiving, I should use the finger quotes and not the, the walls that I put up there, critical time, right? If you're trying to become a contender, this is when you need to stack points and their ability to do so is going to be, uh, it's taken obviously a serious hit. So that forward depth is going to be tested, no doubt. And, you know, we still, I mean, we still don't know, um, you know, I, I mentioned two thoughts on this because we should talk a little more about the forward depth. I think you're still going to have to see some guys come up at, at some point here. We, we've talked about ad nauseum, especially last week, but when Tage went down, obviously you're like, okay, how you replace the offense is a middle stat as a cousins. We got the answer to that today. We, you and I just talked about the penalty kill. That was another thought, but then the, all the kind of outside of that in the bigger picture. And we've talked a little bit about Patrick Kane. This doesn't have to be a Patrick Kane conversation, but Kane wants to go to a team that's going to be a contender. And if the Sabres don't have an ability to stack points, I'm of the opinion that this hurts their chances if they're wanting to take a serious run at a player like Patrick Kane. A free player, it's not going to cost you anything, just a contract, dollars, maybe some term. Are you agreeing with me that you think, based on what you know of the situation, does this diminish their ability to go out and acquire Kane, regardless of... The perception. I know there's a lot of people that don't like the idea. I like the idea. I'm for it for a lot of reasons. We can talk about that in a minute. But I, I want to talk about how the Tage injury relates to their ability to take a run at Kane. What's your take? I think 
it probably makes the Sabres more eager to go get Patrick Kane, and it might make Patrick Kane a little bit more hesitant to sign with the Sabres. I think what the Sabres have working in their advantage with Patrick Kane is the ability potentially to do a multi-year contract. Patrick Kane, of course, is going to want to go to a contender. But if a multi-year contract is on the table, he doesn't need to think necessarily, is it a Stanley Cup contender right this second? If he if it's a multi-year commitment, he can think not just about this year, but next year as well. And the Sabres are also in the unique position, being his hometown. There's some pride there in terms of the franchise and you know being around uh, his friends and family that it would spark that competitive edge in terms of, all right, I could be the one that helps them get back to the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And and so the contender piece of it, I don't think, I don't know that he's going to be so fickle as to throw them out just because of one injury. And if anything, it should add urgency for the Sabres. And Kevin Adams is on the record with Pierre Lebrun this week down at the GM meetings saying they've checked in on him and they want Pat Brisson to keep them posted on all that stuff. So they're in the mix They're and they're not shying away from it. So, but you know, how do they respond to this injury? And I think that's a big, it's a big deal and we can't downplay. And I don't want to downplay the loss of Tage Thompson by any means, 47 goals, 47 assists last year. It's a massive amount of production. And like I said, he mm -hmm. has been their best player, forward or defense, this season. Driving play, playing a two-way game. He's been outstanding. Depth is an issue on this team, and this is going to test that even more. But for some of these guys like Dylan Cousins, Alex Tuck, you know, I almost wonder, and this could just be trying to look at the glass half full, but what have we heard Don Granado talk about when this team is having problems? whether it's energy or overpassing or, you know, making things too complicated, not being simple and direct enough. What would snap you out of that more than losing the guy who you probably think a lot of the times when you're on the ice, well, I'll just get it to that guy and, and he'll do it. You know, maybe it brings together this, I, this team identity of it's going to take all of us to replace stage, not just, one guy. It's not about Dylan Cousins stepping up. It's about getting four solid lines rolling and playing a consistent offensive game. Look at you brought up the Boston Bruins and the the dominant win they had over the Sabres. How have they replaced Patrice Bergeron? Is it one guy or is it the fact that they just continue to play a consistent and thorough? They have style an identity. Hockey. They have an yeah. identity, and it's not to say that Tage Thompson is hindering the Sabres from reaching their identity. I don't think that at all. I just wonder if losing a guy like that adds more urgency to the rest of the guys to say, all right, we can't necessarily win playing the fancy skill game when we're without our most skilled player. So let's go and and win the way that, you know, Don Granado has been trying to beat into their heads for the last month or so or even going back to last season. That, I suppose, is the silver lining along, you know, tangent off of the Patrick Kane question, but I don't think they're out of it on Patrick Kane 
And he would provide, it depends how close he is to ready too. I think that's a bit of a mystery. Like, is he ready to play in a week and two weeks? Like, I'm not really sure. So by the time he comes back and is ready to play, Tage Thompson might be back. I think the signing window probably starts to open next week. I think that's kind of what the scuttlebutt sounds like. Rochester just lost, by the way, 2-0 in Cleveland. I'm going to shut this down. I had it up here while we were working through this episode. Um, but I I would expect Kane to require you know a solid week minimum. You got to get your legs back. You know, skating in practice is one thing. Getting up to the game speed and you know going up and down the ice, especially when you don't have the puck, the back checking and everything else, you can't really simulate that. But there was a video out there. I don't know how recent that video was of him on the ice. There's a little package. I think I don't know if you saw that package. Him working with some weights doing some strength training, you know, getting some uh, friction against the hip and things like that, both hips. And uh, he looked good on the ice. I mean, the skating is there, the jump is there, the acceleration, the hop and the step was there. Again, though, you, it's not a game. So I guess, you know, if, if we think that maybe by um, after Thanksgiving week, it becomes real, then maybe you see him, you know, right around that first week, second week of December. Sounds like anyways, again, I don't know anything. This is all secondhand information, but it's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm of the opinion that if they can't come out and get some confidence and play as a team and forge an identity and start getting some points that they're out of it, that Kane is going to move on. That's kind of a, it's very black and white for me, This which I think would be unfortunate. It is. It's huge. And, and it's unfortunate, I think, um, because I like the concept of the move for a lot of reasons. I don't think that he'd be blocking a young player, even if you sign him for two years. I, I get why people would think that, but there's going to be other. The, the fact of the matter is, is like Kulik Rosane, could they come up and get looks? Yeah, are they fully ready to be full time members of the club? No. And those are the two guys that are most close to ready that aren't here now. I like the the experience that he would bring. I like the moxie, the attitude. It's not just three cups. It's not just, what is he, 34 years old? There's a lot of experience. in a couple of weeks. Okay. So, or Sunday, but there's an actually, attitude. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, but so there is, there's experience there. There's that been there, done that, that we've talked about in the past when we first uh, discussed this topic. But the attitude, the confidence, there's that moxie, that, that big overused word in sports swagger that he has. That would really benefit this group as they're forging an identity. I like it for a lot of reasons. Um, and I just don't see the risk. I see a lot of the naysayers that are against it vehemently. And again, I'm not going to cut anyone down for having an opinion, but I don't see the risk. If it doesn't work out, it's not like you're going to have to swallow those, like the cap dollars. They get relief if it doesn't work by using LTIR, right? So it's going to be really interesting. But again, if they don't get some points here in the next couple of games, I just think they're out. Timing is of the essence. If he's that close to making a decision and going to whittle his list down. Because I think we're looking at what, six to eight teams. I think those are the reports. He's going to get close. I think the next few weeks are kind of pretty key here. And there's other teams that, are better positioned to win right now that are that are in. That's why I say if the Sabres are willing to add a second year 
you know, that it may take a second year to even get in the conversation by the time it's said and done. Uh, I don't know exactly what Patrick Kane is looking for in that department, but I'm sure an extra year wouldn't, wouldn't hurt. You go three years, you start getting a little bit riskier, right? You know, any year that you add, you're getting a little riskier, depending on the term, you know, if we're talking four or 5 million, it's not an insane risk because like you said, you, if it doesn't work out, it's probably not working out because of the hip, or at least you can say it's because of the hip and it's easy to use long-term injured reserve in that situation. And they really could use some of that, all that stuff you're talking about, the confidence, the looking across the room at a guy who knows how to win, knows how to put the puck in the net and has been there, knows what it looks like and maybe gives these guys a little extra, you know, makes them stand a little taller because they got Patrick Kane, you know, that sends a message to the league too. Right. That, okay, this is our, you know, you can say your window is open. You got to act like your window is open. You say your window is open but you're still rostering one of the youngest rosters, if not the uh, youngest roster in the NHL. Yeah. You didn't do much to your forward group. Is it blocking somebody's opportunity? Maybe it's blocking Zach Benson. And I don't know if that's that big of a deal because he's 18 years old. So, you know, and maybe he's not even blocking Zach Benson because the depth is is still kind of an issue. Even if you you add Patrick Kane, you can push a few guys down the lineup. But yeah, I am. I think it's worth the risk, and I think the risk is overstated. I I, I think this is a guy that is still has a ton of offensive potential, uh, and you can see what Eric Johnson brings in terms of being willing to speak up and being a guy that you know knows what it all looks like when it works and having more guys like that would not be a bad thing for the Buffalo Sabres. So they sort of need to go out and I'm not sure anybody in that room is thinking we got to go out and and play for Patrick Kane, right? We got to show Patrick (laughs) Kane that, that we're worthy. I don't know that that crosses their mind at all, but this three game road trip at Winnipeg at Chicago and at Washington Friday, Sunday, Wednesday, they're going to be on the road the whole time. There's they're taking extra time in Chicago, taking their off day in Chicago, practicing in Chicago Tuesday, flying to DC, their first multi-day trip. They loved these last year. Bring the group together. Donnie's got them all under one roof, having all the meals together, doing extra video work. A lot more coaching gets done when you're on the road. Granado was mentioning today. And they thrived in these situations last year. So you can flip the narrative about your team really quickly by this time next Wednesday if you know you string together three wins, which is not unheard of uh, against these three teams and in an environment that this team loved to be in last year. Matt Soda writes, not sure why Pat would want to come to Buffalo besides the most money. It sure wouldn't be to win. Well, we don't know. I mean, there's 16 games into the season only. They could go on a run. We've seen this team do it before, right around this time of year, I want to say. I will point um, out, I want to I want to point something out on that topic that going back to this date last season, they were seven and ten. And they were on game seven of an eight-game losing streak. Mm-hmm. So okay. to put things in perspective a little bit, 
I understand all the extremely valid concerns about the way that this team has played at seven, eight, and one through 16 games, but they were in a worse spot last season. So they're inconsistent right now. They're streaky, but they are, they're not toast. You know, it's, it's not, no, they're, over. they're not out by any, no one's out right now. Playing the yeah, way that I, they are, the longer that continues, the harder you make it on yourself, but they're not out of it. You know, on the topic too of blocking younger players, like you mentioned Benson, and there's other guys that I'll always default to that might be worth a look at some point in the, you know, soon. Um, just a sniff. They're 16 games into the season. You've already, Tuck came into the season, I think, dinged, and now he's still kind of battling some. You've been without Cousins for a spell. Byro comes up, gets hurt. Um, who am I missing? Tage, <laughs> who's going to be out for at least a month, right? Or no more than two. Benson. Sorry, no hurt. more than two. Benson was hurt. You're going to need firepower. And we already have the concerns about the depth. I just don't buy on paper. He might block someone when all thing everyone's healthy, but no, I just don't see when they're all going to be healthy. They might not be 100% healthy until summer. <laughs> and also blocking guys. I don't have a problem with it's not a bad Brian thing. Cummings. Brian Cummings adds, uh, they are the youngest team in the league. 25.9. Yeah. Next closest is Montreal at, at 26 and a half. They're like your age. Right. Yeah. yeah I wish Th those were the good old days. Uh, they are already extremely young. They're going to get younger. If you add in 19 year old Yuri Kulik, they're going to get younger. If you add 20 year old Isak Roseanne, like youth, more youth, might not be the answer that that you're looking for. They will get older if they if they don't keep Zach Benson around full time, which we'll get to uh, later on. But I don't worry about blocking players for that reason. It's not the worst thing in the world to have a little bit of experience to round out your roster, and there will still be spots for the guys who earn them and need them. I agree. I agree. So I, I mean, I'm all in on the concept. I've been since the thing for the, since the question was first posed to me, I'm not wavering from that. I'm just wavering at the Sabres ability to actually get it done when push comes to shove and it's time to get him to, you know, he has a pen in his hand and he's looking at a couple of contracts in front of him on a table. It's like national signing day. He should actually do that. Do a little LeBron. No, I actually don't. Yeah. I get hate the hats. LeBron thing. Yeah. Get the hats. Yeah. Do that. Like if you want to do it that way, I, I didn't like the, uh, the decision, the LeBron thing. Don't get me started on that. But no, so that'll be interesting. Um, you know, on the concept, too, of the younger players, I do think that Yuri Kulik is kind of in that on-deck circle. But, you know, sometimes a guy gets a hit on the first pitch. Sometimes a guy sits there and you know, the guy ahead of him in the batter's box fouls one off 18 times. Kulik can sit there and wait a while. He's in the on-deck circle. Doesn't mean he has to come up. I'm for him getting a look. I think, and I, you and I talked about this offline. I want to say it here. Both statements can be true. Kulik at some point can be worth the look to bring him up, but it, he can also not be 100% ready to be a full-time NHL player. And we've seen a lot of players in the past come up, not look ready. They come up, they figure it out. Eventually that, you know, they maybe get it on their second recall. I would be very shocked if Yuri Kula came up and was lights out, shows that he belongs. He has to get some action, process it, go back and then come up again. And you, and you start to really, show that you can play in that league. That's how I would see it going with Kulik. He's a very young player. There's a lot of chatter about Kulik right now, and rightfully so. 
He's playing well. But um, I just wanted to get that point clear because I am, you know, really impressed with what he's doing. But it doesn't mean he's ready to come up and, and be a full-time member of this team. I would rather have a guy that's been there, done that, that knows how to play in the league that had 90-plus points two years ago before the team decided to tank miserably. And, uh, you know, even in, on that team, what do you have, 60 points when he had no help around him? Kane did. And he, and he finished the year pretty well in New York last year, too. While I think he had a point a game yeah. in the so, playoffs. I just don't, you know, and the Sabres team defense has been improved this year. So Kane not being a, you know, outstanding two-way player isn't, isn't a problem for me. I just think absolutely Cooley will deserve and will likely get a look at some point, like you mentioned. I think bringing him up in the right way, in the right environment, like you mentioned, here's a look, maybe head back down. Hey, maybe he gets the look and he runs with it. That would be best case scenario, right? That The kid is- well, We a, shouldn't expect it. We should but, not expect but, it. But that should not be, it should not be the Sabres have a problem. Let's solve it with Kulik, in my opinion. No. That's not no. the best way to develop him and the best way to- ensure he has long-term success and that this is an important piece of how the sabers take this next step and it, you know developing players the right way and and maximizing you know their impact and surrounding them with the right types of players that's the next part right the easy part is tearing it down getting a lot of draft picks and drafting players and drafting exciting prospects the hard part is layering them into the lineup and and finding ways to you know, get the most out of them and doing so without, you know, they're not in a spot where you're going to be in a development mode only mm -hmm. like they were 12 months ago, that it was okay yeah. that Quinn and Paterka were struggling at times because the team was developing. Look no further than Matt Savoy, right? You know, yeah. that situation is a perfect example they didn't think he was quite ready to go out and try to earn it in their what? That was their 14th game of the season? 14. Game 14, things are getting tight. They're not off to a, a rip-roaring start. Every two points matter. And they weren't ready to sit there and say, you get runway to earn this because they didn't get to see him in preseason. They didn't, didn't get to see him in training camp. He didn't get to absorb those reps and get himself ready and they weren't willing they didn't think he was ready they gave him the look for the benefit of his development to get the look understand what he's what he's facing when he goes back to the whl and thinks about his development but they were not willing to let him play through mistakes and and get you know get developed that way on the fly and it's not Kulik is different because he's playing in the AHL. He's getting pro experience, but it's not as if they can do what they did with Paterka and Quinn with Kulik. You need to bring them along a little bit differently. So I'm excited to see him just like everybody else. But I think you need to be cautious when it'd be a lot better. I, in fact, I'd probably be more willing to say, give him a look if the team was 10, 10, five and one. And they had an injury and it's like, he's coming in and he's just a piece. You don't want to bring a guy in at seven, eight, one with the, the fans all screaming. This is it. This is our answer. He's going to fix it. it. That's not a good spot to put the kid in.
No, and if you're taking a run and this is your window open, you're not relying on the young guys to be that elixir to your point. It, it you gotta, you know, Kevin Adams is always gonna look at it in the bigger picture, longer term, what's best for the player. That led to what they did with Savoy, right or wrong. I would have, you know, sometimes I'm guilty of having that new toy syndrome, but I'd like to see him play more than what was it, 355? 355. Yeah. I would have liked to see him play, but I understand why he didn't. I do. And I'm not apologizing for Granado or, or Adams. It's just how it worked out given where they're at in the schedule to your point. And I agree wholeheartedly. The Brian Cummings comment on the screen, you know, he's recapping kind of the injuries with Quinn cousins, Tuck and Thompson. Um, but the comment here that's caused me to, to put it up on the screen messes up the PP trickle down the lineup, harder to get guys in appropriate roles, 100%. And I think we're going to see how they manage through that. There's going to be constant line juggling, I think, here in the next couple of games to see what fits. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Middlestat moved up eventually in that spot where he was to end the season last year. But on the PP, we saw Victor Olofsson get two goals in the Boston game. This is a streaky scorer. And I'm just kind of curious, um, is this a, is he coming back to life potentially? A, is he coming back to life potentially in terms of his goal scoring? Now it can be, I think is he's doing it at the right time. Who was he skating with today uh, at practice? Do you recall? I can bring up he your lines if you tweeted if you don't have it. Greenway and Jost. Greenway and Jost. Okay. And he was still playing that last game. Was he still with Akposo and Gergensons in that Boston game? No. He no, was he with, was with Ghost. He was with, well, it wasn't, was it Krebs? It may have I been have Krebs. Yes, it was actually yeah. because they had a lot. Yeah, Rusek, Krebs, Olofsson, because they yes. had the best pressure. They sustained the most pressure in that first period. They were the line. They were the group that I think got things moving when they were moving in any direction positively in that game in the first period. They also sustained some zone pressure in the second period. They were actually pretty Krebs's, decent. One of Krebs's better yeah. games. And uh, that is worth pointing out that the lines today were a little small tweak would be Krebs is going to meet the team in Winnipeg. Uh, he's home dealing with a family matter and, and he's going to meet the team there. So Rusek was in his spot with uh, Gergensen's and Akposo, but that might also end up being Joe's spot and maybe Krebs goes between Greenway and Olsen, which would be an interesting look uh, if Krebs could come alive a little bit and, and, you know, start to show some offensive jump. Those are a couple of, more offensive teammates. They're not, you know, Olofsson can be. Is Olofsson coming, you know, coming to life? I don't know. Uh, you know, two kind of classic Victor Olofsson goals and that the game's already 5 nothing, right? And gets a couple and two goals that really mean absolutely nothing. But mentally. But mentally, a big deal. Like if somebody was going to score, because... The reason you keep Victor Olsen around, which they probably should not have done, but I don't know that there was a legitimate way to move on from him in the offseason. I just don't know that there was a lot of suitors uh, for a $4.75 million player who was a healthy scratch down the stretch in the Sabres' most important games. But you bring him back, 
because you're worried about the Quinn injury. You're worried about the depth at forward, the secondary scoring. So if he can get on one of those streaks that he gets on, even for a few weeks, you take all the goals you can get at this point because they're not the same offensive team they were a year ago. And maybe part of it is the fact that this guy hasn't been scoring. And part of the reason he hasn't been scoring is because he hasn't even been in the lineup consistently. We could, what's the list now of players that have jumped him in the lineup? Like players that he's been healthy scratched so that somebody else could get in. Matt Savoy, Lukash mm-hmm. Rusek, uh, Tyson Byro. Jo- Byro, Tyson Jost. You know, he's I would never- say Benson. <laughs> Benson, yeah. So that's five right there. That's five a, guys. And that's a, two full lines almost. <laughs> right, of guys that they, they've they found a way to keep Olofsson a healthy scratch to get those guys in. So, oh, we'll get Matt Savoy a look because, you know, why not? You know, it, it's better than dressing Olofsson. So, if you can get some goals out of him, it benefits everybody. I think Victor Olsson recognizes right now if he wants out, which I think why wouldn't he want out in mm-hmm. terms of why wouldn't he just want a bigger role, you know, and and to be somewhere where where he can get back to being what he was. Best way to do that is to score. Showcase yourself, show what you can do because one of two things happen. You cement your role here or you boost your trade value and somebody comes and gets you. And right now they need him. And I think he should look at this as everybody in the lineup should as an opportunity to step up and, and make an impression and not just pack it in, right? Because uh, it was a healthy scratch for you know five, six games. They, they don't like me, whatever. You're out. You got to be out for yourself in, in a way. And the best way to be out for yourself is to help the team and, and score some goals. So I think this is, he seemed energized. By the goals. He seemed confident and as frustrated as he's been with the lineup situation, this is a good spot, especially with the power play. Because, yeah. And again, I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and say that removing one of the hardest shots in hockey is going to help the top power play. But I do think that group at times is guilty of forcing that play to Tage Thompson and not thinking about all the other stuff that they could possibly just like they used to force it to Olafson. Right. So it became the most predictable power play in the league. And I feel like that's why they faded down the stretch a little bit last year. Once teams started trying to take that away. So looking glass half full, you sit here and think maybe they can, the power play may not benefit from losing Thompson, but long-term it may benefit from, not having him and needing to figure out other stuff without him in there, other plays, other ways to generate chances. And Olofsson could be a part of that. So we'll see how how all that shakes out. But this is a, a key moment for Olofsson in a lot of different ways because if they were to land Patrick Kane, if Quinn comes back, you know, and you end up having Kane, Jack Quinn, Tage Thompson all back healthy, that's where it becomes easier to move a player like Olofsson especially if he shows something that makes him a movable asset. Yeah. I think regardless of how we got the goals to your point, yes, they were the, t- the typical Victor Olofsson goals for sure. Um, I mean, let me see. One was like spin and fire. It was at least between the circles, right? Can't remember the other one was from, but they weren't one those bounced, bounced from the side, right? Yeah. One bounced off the wall and he was in the right spot out front. 
to his credit. And, you know, I think it was an Owen power shot off the backboard bounced right out to him. And he kind of had a, a look at the open net. So anything, take anything to get on the board when you're a guy like that going through what he's going through struggles wise and ice time wise. I know I'm all over the place, but you know, I guess to kind of bring it back. So the Sabres are going out to Winnipeg, right? And it's good to get Olafson going. Maybe he can kind of help, you know, move in a good direction. Just to, you know, you just I think summed it up perfectly. It's an opportunity. He can take it and run with it. Getting those two goals, getting him off the Schneid, maybe helps mentally. Maybe it leads to more goals. Peyton Krebs had a pretty good game against Boston. At least you know, again, the outcome for the team sucked, but he showed some signs of life in the past couple of games. I would say. Now he's going back to Winnipeg where he played junior hockey where the team has to pick up points. Maybe a guy, again, that's a little bit down the lineup, maybe he can kind of lift everyone up and be to contribute to that team concept, get all the lines going. Everyone has to kind of, you know, pull up their work boots, whatever, right? And like, it's kind of get to work and, and play hockey. They're all very good hockey players. Benson has what, three games left before the... He's got a couple games left anyways, right? Before he's it's got, a decision he's time. He's got the, three games and... I asked Don Granado today about that because my question was essentially is the decision made up or how much will these three games impact your decision? He said, no decision's been made and these three games are big. You know, these three games, he has a chance to go and earn it. They have not decided that they're sending him back. They also haven't decided that they're keeping him. So they liked what they saw before he got hurt. They want to see... And I think they're right for doing this. How did this benefit him? Don Granado talks about it all the time. Send a guy up to the press box, he'll come back stronger. This was not that typical case. You didn't send him up to the press box. He was injured. But what did he absorb in that time off? Does he come back with that jump we saw in the preseason in the first few games? And if so, given their forward situation right now, I think there's a chance he could stick around. And he's going to have some extra motivation too. another guy going back to Winnipeg where he played his junior hockey, a little bit of, uh, you know, the billet family will probably be in attendance, uh, get some good cooking, maybe see an old chick he was hanging out with. Winnipeg is kind of a spot for these guys. They had a good game last year. Eric Comrie's going back to Winnipeg. It looks like he's going to be in the net and we got, we got a question here. Well, here I was going to, that's why I was going to Winnipeg. Is it this one here about the, uh, roster yeah, we've group? got that one and we've got, yeah, Neil asked a similar question. So shout out Neil Kennington as well. We'll uh, throw him up also. Yep. Asked essentially who, you know, what do they do to make room? Because it sounds like Eric Comrie is going to play tomorrow night. Everything Don Granado said makes it sound like that's the case. And an interesting wrinkle to this situation, Bakes, is that Eric Comrie's wife is due with their first child on Saturday. Oh. And Comrie is just as happy-go-lucky as can be about it, not worried at all. Um, I admire his uh, go-with-the-flow attitude. He's going to figure it out. S very strong chance. Not a guarantee, but a very strong chance he will have to leave the trip early. So to the question from Neil, uh, and from Max. No, I don't think Devin Levi enters that conversation when you know that I don't think he enters the conversation to begin with. And we'll get to that. Well, I think it's, it's definitely time to have a, a Devin Levi conversation, but 
strictly for the need to potentially have all three goalies on the road trip. I don't think he's necessarily a candidate to go down to Rochester, but it adds another interesting wrinkle right as they get three goalies back. I thought it was going to work out timing wise for Eric Comrie, where he was still going to be injured while his wife had the baby, but, uh, not, I mean, with the way November was when he knew it was a mid November due date, he knew this was going to get, do they got to bring him, do they got to bring him back? Like, why can't they wait until after the weekend? I mean, (laughs) it's a, it's a great question, but, I don't, you know, it was probably worth asking Don Granato at some point, uh, just about how do you handle? I mean, if he's healthy, he's healthy. Yeah. Right. He's healthy. He's ready to go. It's not like you could stash a guy. It's not like fantasy football where you try to like keep the guy on IR. Plays well in Winnipeg. (laughs) Winnipeg means something to him. He spent a lot of time there. So, and, but it tells you a little something about how, I, I think that little detail tells you a little something about how they feel about Eric Comrie, right? Because they want to get him back. If he's healthy, he's ready to go. They want to get him a game. And maybe you give him the first game on the road trip and you're able to send him home and he can be with his wife and the other two handle the rest of the trip. Or he rejoins the team before the Washington game. If he's absolutely lights out against Winnipeg and you want to tap into that that new dad new dad energy that he could bring. That's um, right. You know, he meets back baby, up. In baby DC. swag. Right. So we'll see. I, I It's uh, interesting. He'll be on on notice and he'll have to get, get home quickly. He's from, uh, uh, you know, he's got connections in the Winnipeg area, right? He spent a lot of time there. It sounds like he's got a plan to get out of there if he, if he needs to, but makes things interesting. I don't, you know, so who do you send now? I think we should start there. Table the Levi conversation for now, because there's, there's more to get into there. The more pressing issue is who do you send? Who do you get rid of? Who do you send down? It becomes a little tricky. Ryan Johnson is the big no. fear, right? Because uh, we have, I think great... they told you in practice today, it's not him. Right. They did. And part of that reason is Henry Okiharu has been under the weather and they don't know what his availability is going to be. So you are getting to a point, I think, where you might have to think about waiving Jacob Bryson, right? Unless you take the easy way out and you put Rusek down. Sure, you could do that. And it looks like, based on the lines and and all that, that that's a consideration, a possibility. You've got time if you don't the problem is you can put tage thompson on ir and there's your roster spot for Comrie. zach benson also looks like he's ready to come back so that's where if you want both of them that's where you have to make a move and maybe that move is rusek but from a forward standpoint don't you want you know the depth as we've talked about there they kind of need some of that depth and you're not going to have an extra forward at that point so I don't know if they get to a point where they, they would consider waiving Jacob Bryson, but I think Rusek's the move, even though Rusek's played like what 11 minutes, 13 minutes, like he's getting some played well the other night. Of, yeah. Those are those fourth line kind of minutes. And they had him in, again, it could have been a placeholder for Krebs potentially, right? He was between Looked they had him like lined it. up at center yeah. today. Right. And, Gergensen so, was know. rotating in at center there too. So there was a little bit of both, but I think it's him despite the recent usage. Because it's easy I, enough, right? It's they the can, easy way out. It's not a 
you don't have to draw the line in the sand and make a decision. But it's not performance based. I think it's just more about and we can the move. you know we can. I don't think you can send Ryan Johnson down because he's earned the right to play and he's helping you win. Based on the criteria from earlier in the season, that should matter. And they're putting him in spots to help, right? They're putting him in big spots. They trust him. But again, that's also an easy move if they want to go that direction. Uh, if Yoki Haru is healthy, then you know they could go that direction and just have Bryson as your extra and use the logic of, well, if Ryan Johnson's not going to play, then we want him playing games. Uh, they have uh, depth there under contract in Rochester. If for whatever reason they didn't like, if they lost Bryson, you know, as an organization, if somehow he got claimed, you know, I just don't think down there. you have guys down there can kind of do what he does. You've, they have well, a lot of defensemen. If, if there's Kale one position Clay. where you're okay, losing a guy, it's on D. That's what I've thought all along. You've got Kel Clegg, you've got Riley Stillman, you've got some of these guys. And now Ryan Johnson has emerged as a legit NHL ready player. So, mm-hmm. To me, I just don't see the risk. And you could see the usage with Bryson in a few of his games where they were hesitant, pulling him off the ice. It's like at some point you have to, you know, I think you have to make a decision there about what it, what exactly are you hoping to change and what exactly is the benefit of having him as insurance as that seventh guy if you don't really trust him. So I think that is a – if push comes to shove type of move, but maybe you go with the easy one with Rusek as a paper move to, you know, get you through a game. Right. And then, but you know, that, that is the interesting thing about Comrie. It's like, you could just keep him home an extra weekend and, you know, leave him on, but doesn't sound like that's what they're doing. They're eager to get him back in the net. They need points. He plays well there. Like they're ready to get him back in the net. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not against him playing. I mean, I'm kind of, you know, I, I think he's done pretty well when he's gotten in there and I'm okay with it. It's just, you know, it's just one of those funny situations. Like, man, it's one day, you know, right. it's one day. Um, Which the Johnson thing, though. His, his wife might not go into labor right when on her due date, you know, that's the other tricky part. He might be waiting. So, you know, it's, uh, can't plan these things all the time so it's it's going to be an interesting weekend for the Comrie family no the johnson thing for me um not even on the table right now you know if you go back to granado if a player's helping the team win they have a job here in buffalo and, and like when they do win or when they do play well johnson's a contributor i don't think you go playing all these minutes with Darlene and then potentially lining up with Owen Power tomorrow potentially right if practice today was any indication and then all of a sudden you're on the block to go back down lickety split i just don't think it goes down that way i think johnson's a contributor and And as max mentioned in the comment you put on the screen like you started this podcast in a in a bad mood and if ryan johnson goes down you know it's just gonna go from bad to worse yeah (laughs) I'm I'm in a better mood now that we're like talking because I'm not like I'm not in a bad mood about the Sabres. Like I don't get mad about the Saber. You know what I mean? Like I don't. I, I I really don't. I just like there's so much other crap going on. You know what I mean? So like this here, this is great. I wish we could have done this for like the past three days. Cause then I wouldn't have to deal with all the other noise in my life right now. But we're not gonna make this a Chris Baker therapy session. Um you had that uh, on the golf course yesterday. So well, that's part of the reason I'm pissed. <laughs> so I, I bounced out of work yesterday a little early. 
long lunch, went over to the club, played nine holes, fourth hole. My like left knee locks up, man. And I'm like, oh, this is sore. I kept playing. I was hitting the ball. Great. Great. Couple birdie looks, you know, of course was playing long, no roll on, very soft. You know what I mean? Hitting fairways off the tee, hitting greens and regulation. I still can't putt for shit. I'm missing all these easy birdie putts, but like my knee is bad. Get home, walk the dogs. It got worse. I did the little rice, right? Rest, ice. What is it? Compression, elevation, something like that. I think that's yeah. Did all that. Walk the dogs again. Did after work. Worse. Something's wrong with my left knee. Bad that's news. Not good. You already. That's just on top through. of all the other crap. <laughs> I already fought through a gnarly finger injury, and now a knee. Oh, you're man. like you're like tiger. Something new popping up. Here it is. You're yeah. right around that age. There's that finger. It only bends this much. <clears throat> and yet my golf game, my driver somehow improved, not being able to fully grip the club. Amazing. Science. But anyways, back to the Sabres. <laughs> I don't, you know, I love talking about my train wreck of uh, life that I'm living right now. Um, so we did. I love when we have a natural conversation, though, by the way, and things that we had on the show sheet just get taken care of. We had Ryan Johnson on our rundown. You and I talked about that. We want to talk about that. Did you have anything else to add on him though? Cause like right now I don't see like an immediate end of the road for him right now. I think that he's here. I know he's one of those guys that can go down kind of like Rusek. It, it, at some point it might become an easy move to make, but right now he's in your top four. He's contributing. Yoki Haru situation. Maybe when he starts feeling better, maybe that kind of, makes things easier if they want to send them down right now. I think he's here though. Yeah. I think the only hesitation I have is if the other six are all healthy and that's who they want, you know, as they're six, do you feel better about Ryan Johnson playing some games, but he's, he's older, right? He's not so young that I think that needs to be, I think that's part of why the transition has been so smooth for him because he did take his time and play out his college career. And he's now at an age where he's just more mature than a lot of these guys. I mean, he's older than Owen Power. You know, he's, he's polished. He, he's polished. off the ice too. He's just, it's not too big for him. You know, he's ready. He fits in. So I could see it, him being a valuable guy to, you know, even spell Eric Johnson at times and keep him fresh. So that's, that would be the only hesitation. It's like, do you want him to play games? Do you want him to be continuing to log those minutes in game action? But I also don't see a huge harm in having him be your seven. So smooth, so decisive with the puck. And when I was watching the team against Boston the other night, the passing was so bad. I don't know if you noticed that. Those are the details that I always know. Passes and skates, mistimed passes, just kind of sloppy. It's such a basic thing that these guys need to master. Sometimes I think they need some passing practice. The passing was so bad. Ryan Johnson, though, boom, tape every time, right in the bullseye, right in stride. He just adds a lot to the lineup besides you know his strong positional play and his ability to carry the puck and, and just move with it. So I don't know. I, I've, I've talked about him in all in a positive light since – the prospects challenge and it seemingly hasn't changed. So I think everyone knows kind of where I stand on Ryan Johnson, but we do probably, um, you know, we missed an opera. We missed a really good segue opportunity when we were talking about Comrie. And I know you want to get back to Devin Levi. 
Devin yeah. Levi, Devin Levi, Devin Levi. This is a an interesting moment, I think, in Devin Levi's season. And we have questions, legit questions. And I, this is probably what it comes down to, this question from Matt Soda. Oh, sorry. Hold on. Good. I put up the alien <laughs> finger one back. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, Go ahead. Put, put yourself it, it, it is an alien finger. It's worthy of highlighting. Uh, I can't. Yeah, it's bad. Look at that thing. It's bad. Sorry. Never got fixed. Uh, also, yeah. walking the dogs ruined. Correct. But yeah. Matt Soda asks: Is Levi being developed the right way? Uh, it's a fair question because a lot of these things that we talk about in terms of Savoy or Kulik or you know different players, every situation is different, and every player is going to get a, his own treatment and especially Devin Levi being a goalie, it's going to be different. But the fact that he is here and not in the AHL is abnormal to begin with. Skipping from college hockey to the NHL with no time in the AHL is rare, if not unprecedented. Spencer Knight sort of did it, uh, but now he's back in the AHL. Jeremy Swayman played very little in the AHL. Mm -hmm. It is a... I think the game against Boston shows how tough it can be on the team and on Devin Levi for him to be in this spot. He goes, since we last talked, he had his best game of the season against the wild yep. and he had his worst game of the season of his professional career against the Bruins. I think a big under the radar, maybe not even under the radar reason they lost that game was, was, Devin Levi not making a few saves early. The Sabres were getting chances early in that game. This wasn't yep. your same, you know, that Flyers game a few weeks ago at home, they come out flat and they get the ice is tilted and, you know, words like embarrassing and all this are thrown around. This was not that. They had chances. Allmark was making saves. Two of the first three shots on Levi go in. One of them is an easy rebound. And, that is, it's just so hard to come back from that against a team like Boston. It's really tough. And I thought the Sabres were generating early in that game. And it goes the other way because you fall into a two nothing hole and then a three nothing hole. And before you know it, you're sitting there three nothing against the best team in hockey that doesn't give you much to begin with. So, and has, you know, the Vezina winner from a year ago in net. And, that's a tough game for Devin Levi to process, I'm sure, to get pulled and to be sitting there stewing on that for a little while. He's probably not going to play Friday in Winnipeg. Maybe he doesn't play Sunday in Chicago. I don't know. Maybe they go to Lukanen. And then at that point, depending on how those two play, maybe he's not in the net on Wednesday. And, and so I don't know. And so to Matt's question, I'm not convinced that he's being developed the right way. And going back to the summer, and I think on a few episodes here, I've mentioned that various factors, I would almost have felt differently 12 months ago if he was playing on that team. As much as they were giving up, the pressure was different. Yep. Right? The Expectations. Expectations were totally different. This idea that this is not a development year. Well, guess what? It is a development year for Devin Levi because he has never played in the NHL. He's never been through all of this. And that is a heck of a challenge. And I understand that talent-wise, he's pretty special. 
technique wise between the ears. He's pretty special. He's unique. He's thinks the game a certain way. So did Ryan Miller and he played 170 games in the AHL. So is Connor Hellebuck and he played 88 games in the AHL. I think it was UC Saros. I mean, go down the list of all these guys that played in the AHL. The guys that skip it are usually Russian because they've played in the KHL mm -hmm. or Henrik Lundqvist is an example, but he was playing in the Swedish elite league and carrying a load and jumping into the situation you jump into matters too, right? You're simultaneously trying to get the team to play better team defense and commit to a more, you know, responsible style of hockey, more structure. You're teaching that while you have a goalie who's going through everything for the first time. So I don't think it has reached a point where they would send them to the AHL. That feels like a break glass scenario. They don't, I don't seem, think so. it just doesn't seem like something that has been a part of their plan based on their words and their actions. It does not feel like it's been a part of, you know, the, the plan for them. But I think his play is under a microscope in a big way. And I don't know if they would get to that point because they have made it so that doing that is more dramatic than it needs to be. Right. That's probably the best way I can put it. Like it should not be dramatic to send a 21 year old goalie to the AHL to get his game back. But the way they've set him up playing him the first four games out of the shoot where they talked about him leading up where he basically those seven games earned him the spot earned him the net. They were convinced that he could handle all of this and this all is part of, of the adversity. They were they were convinced going into it. They made and you it have a non, to a non possibility, which kind of means you have to stick with him, right? Because yep. he did just have his best game a week ago, and then he had his worst game. But part of the reason, like you mentioned, is they were convinced he's special between the ears, and this is the stuff it'll he'll absorb it quickly. It'll make him better. So they're going to have to give it time to see if that's actually true. And it's going to have to get to a worse place before they consider, not only will it have to get to a worse place, they'll also have to have conviction in Lukanen and Comrie, which they're probably not all the way there yet. Given Comrie's coming back from injury, Lukanen has had some ups and downs though has played well overall, but look good coming in, in that Boston game. Made some good saves. He did. He did. He looked very good. And I think has looked good more often than not this year. So those two could control the situation a little bit, but it is, it is really interesting because it is, he's sort of the, the one that's getting the chance to develop on the fly. So is Zach Benson a little bit. Uh, we'll see if that continues beyond these three games, but it's a, an interesting spot for Devin Levi because the challenge with Devin Levi is not, whether he can have games like Minnesota. We all know what he's capable of. The challenge is stringing them together, which in college was a lot different of a challenge when you have the time off in between. But mm -hmm. when you're Friday night, one place, Tuesday night, the next place, Friday, you know, jumping around and one after the other, and every two points really matters. And I talked to him about this last week or the week before 
the idea that letting in four can be a good game if you win, you know, that's a new concept for him. He's very used to, he's like, I can't remember ever being happy. He was referencing the Red Wings game last year. They won seven to six, I believe it was. He goes, I would never be happy with a six goal game in college, but I was pretty happy with that one. <laughs> and he's, and you know, that's something different to get used to and recalibrating your expectations of what success looks like. So it's a lot, it's a lot being thrown at Devin Levi. And I think all of the questions people ask about whether he might be better served in the AHL or Valley because everybody else has done it even just a little bit. Did you, so you've been thinking a lot about the Levi thing, you know, really since September, you've been thinking about just why can't he go down? Nick, you knew that he was set up to just be here and they weren't like the Rochester thing was never on the table. When you were hearing Granado talk about Savoy, it must've been Monday, Monday, I think yeah. when, right. And he was saying like, you know, could you imagine throwing a guy out there in a, in a tight game and he makes a mistake, a young player. Did you think about the whole Levi thing when you were hearing Granado talk about Savoy? It's like, well, wait a minute. You're doing that with your goaltender. <laughs> I do think about that. And I do think, and th this is their answer to those types of, you know, because it was asked, you know, how this will impact the decision with Benson. And it's, you know, those are two totally separate situations. Every player is different. Every eight, And I agree with this point that every 18-year-old is not created equal. Every 20-year-old is not in the same spot as every other 20-year-old. And you have to look at each situation as it presents itself. But from a philosophical standpoint, you know, you're talking about a 19-year-old Matt Savoy who's missed a lot of time with injury over the last, you know, in terms of his what could have been his saber career right his development first development camp he couldn't skate uh and then you had this rookie tournament he gets hurt at the end misses training camp misses preseason so he's missed some of those moments and he's young but in goalie years devin levi is very young and i have thought about you know when he when stuff like that pops up you know it's different different standards for different players, which it should be, right? It's the NHL. You know, there's going to be different standards for different guys. But the big question is like, will Devin Levi prove them right in terms of the ability to withstand it all? Because, you know, I've, you know, it's not an easy thing to do as a goalie. You, even talking to his college goalie coach, Mike Condon, last summer for a story i did princeton legend condo massachusetts guy we went to the, some of the same goalie coaches growing up he uh well i didn't know him then but you know we were both he apparently took to the teaching a little bit better than i did uh, <laughs> carved out carved out a nice professional <laughs> career. carved out a nice professional career for himself um but hey here i am so um but one of the things he mentioned, and I'll bring up a comment here from Brian Cummings. You know, some of us are old enough to remember all the way back to 2019 when Lukanen was the can't miss goalie of the future. And when Condon and I were talking, we were talking about Devin's decision to go back for another <clears throat> year at Northeastern. And part of the reason he loved it, because he was like, this guy is still a kid. He's still got this innocence about him, this bubbly innocence. And he's like, 
pro hockey is going to take some of that away, right? It's just going to mm-hmm. happen. Eventually, pro hockey is going to beat some of that out of you. So en- enjoy a little bit more of that while you can. But also, in reference to Lukanen, he was saying, how quick did the conversation change when, you know, you're developing the a- in the AHL. Even the AHL, people are watching, but not a lot of people are watching. But you get to the NHL, you get what? Two years, one or two years before people are really judging you. And I think that's, you know, the idea of being able to learn all of these things that we're talking about, playing, you know, multiple nights, getting used to the travel, you know, the the compressed schedule, pro hockey in general, playing with, with men and, and playing, you know, for a paycheck and in games that matter and learning through those mistakes at the AHL level would absolutely have been beneficial. And it's not to say that he won't get a chance to do it at some point, but there's a lot of examples of guys that it's benefited. Carter Hart jumped right in Mm -hmm. and looked great. And so that, you know, there's examples of, of other guys, but then he took a step back, right? And oh yeah, and mentioned and some shit of the, on by his coach real quick after that nice start to his career. I I even think about uh, Sergey Bobrovsky. Go all the way back to Sergey Bobrovsky coming into Philadelphia, straight out of the KHL. Jumped right in, twenty one years old, I believe he was. Mm-hmm. He was great. He he was terrific. And then in the playoffs, he gets yanked, and they're playing goalie musical chairs. And then by the neck, I, I want to say like a little more than 12 months later, he's gone. He's in Columbus. Wins a few Vezinas. Mm-hmm. Now he's in yeah. Florida and almost carried him to a Stanley Cup. How After being how dumped quickly on teams, all year for that contract. How quickly teams yeah. move on, right? How quickly teams are willing to... Here are the Flyers who had a historic you know, problem in net, right? Can't find a goalie. They get this 21-year-old who's an instant success. And not long after, they're signing Ilya Brzgalov because the kid's not ready or the kid's not can't handle the big moment. Whatever the hell the reason was, they're replacing him. And I was incredulous at it, especially when you look at the, the career. I mean, look at Andrew Raycroft, one of two goalies in the last 20 years to win the Calder. A couple of years later, he's gone. Steve Mason also won the Calder didn't finish his career with the team that he won the Calder with. You know, Devin Levi is not a Mark andre Fleury, Carey Price-level pedigree prospect in terms of draft capital. Oh, yeah. You know, those guys didn't have a lot of AHL time. But again, you have to look at the situations. You have to look at what they were brought into, a chance to go through some struggles. Swayman, I think, is a good example in some ways, but then you have a guy there who got called up to play in tandem with Tuka Rask on one of the best defensive teams in hockey. The neck that was after he played nine games in the AHL. So he actually did get to get his feet wet in the AHL that year comes up, plays with Tuka Rask next year. Tuka Rask was hurt. And so they signed Linus Olmark. He starts the season in tan. He actually Started opening night that year. They send mm-hmm. him down because Tukarask had his little comeback. 
that did not go well. And I think that lit a fire under Swayman a little bit. It's like, I why am I going down? Like, I, I've been playing well. Tuca's come back last, like, four games. Swayman's back up. He hasn't looked back. You know, he's he's great. But again, he's playing with... They had Dan Vladar there, too. They did. And Halak was there in the same net the year Swayman got there. Um, so they they had some depth there, and he still forced his way in. And he was really good. And he came from college hockey as well, a University of Maine product. So, but you're going into a great defensive structure, phenomenal goalie coach, and playing in tandem with a guy that signed a big contract and would go on to win a Vezina. Devin Levi does not have a proven goalie in, to work in tandem with. He does not have the best defensive team in hockey. He does not have, you know, a, a proven winning culture that he's walking into. He's supposed to be part of rising, lifting the team to that point. Just a hell of a lot to ask uh, of a 21-year-old. All these different situations, uh, you you really see the the differences of where guys had benefits that Devin Levi does not. And maybe he can overcome it. I, I I think he will be okay in the long run. I don't think they are ruining him by any stretch, but you're seeing some of the the downfalls of the approach uh, as they're trying to find their own game. The original question was, is, is he being developed the right way? <clears throat> I think that we have the benefit of hindsight right now. And it's, it's only, he's only a few starts in and he had a little, he's another guy early in the season that had a little bit of a ding, right? Missed some time. Um, he's being developed the unconventional way. I think that's the best way to summarize yeah. the Devin Levi conversation. I don't know if it's the wrong way. He is a special talent between the years, and that's why they're not. That's why the Matthew Savoy conversation that was have had with Granado on Monday doesn't necessarily apply to Devin Levi. I think that's just very cut and dried there. It'll be a but, case um, study one way or the other, right? I think that's what I think about it as, and it's why I'm so fascinated and love talking about all the angles is because it will be a case study. We need more it, runway though, to see what he does, because exactly. we're not having this conversation. If we're talking after the Minnesota game. Exactly. Where that's where it could be one of those things, especially with, you see some of the, like I mentioned, a lot of these examples are recent, right? Swayman, Carter Hart, Spencer Knight, maybe mm -hmm. some teams look at it and say, well, geez, Devin Levi did it. And maybe there's, a lot of it, and Don Granado has mentioned this, is sometimes goalies take longer because there's only one net, right? You can't, mm -hmm. you want guys to play games while they're developing and there's only one net. So having a guy up to be a backup or to be a third goalie or something doesn't serve a purpose. And so, yeah, that's where it will be fascinating. These struggles should not have been unexpected for a lot of the reasons that I mentioned. His ability to work through them will ultimately either validate their plan or make them reconsider it. And that's where I feel like it can be an interesting case study. Now I'm with you there. Um, I haven't hated him, you know, I mean, not all the goals are on him. We know that the team defense has been poor in front of him, but I mean, there's a couple that Tuesday was the back, only obviously. night where I was like, Oh, it's rough. Yeah. The and those are going to happen with all young players, every position, you got to expect peaks and valleys. That's kind and of all what you goalies. were saying all goalies are going to have those nights throughout the league. It's a, it's a tough yeah. league to play goalie in. And a lot of his other games, they haven't been, I'd been waiting for one like Minnesota. That was that good. And sort of waiting for one like Tuesday. That was that bad because one hadn't quite been that bad. And you were wondering if one of those was going to hit him at some point and how he would 
handle it and how the team would handle it as well. So he's, we always talk about the total body of work too. It's not yes. just the handful of starts this year. It's those ones that he also had when he immediately stepped in last year. Played those some good matter. Teams. And it, I think that's another thing that he's recognized the time it can take. Remember he was coming fresh off his college season, playing in the tournament, the whole thing. And Jumping right in, adrenaline, playoff race. He's, he's he was ready to roll. Jump starting it at the beginning of a season, different challenge. Every year you're going to have to do that in the NHL. So, I absolutely when you when you have a plan like this, you have to let it run its course more than what we've seen. Even yeah. though it hasn't been perfect, they couldn't have gone into it thinking it would be perfect. So, we'll see how it goes from here. What are we, 20% through the season at this point? Not even a quarter? Very close to 20%. Let's give it some time, right? Let's give it a little time still. Uh, we got to clear out the chat. I think we're at that point over an hour in. We're an hour 20 in. Time to clear out the chat. You should have saw how much Bailey's I put in this, by the way. I'm feeling it. That's good. I never feel Bailey's. Tonight I feel it. Uh, off Moving topic, here's one. <laughs> Kevin asks uh, off topic when players are sent down or brought up, where do they stay hotels or with guys already there? Most of the guys I think stay in the, that Harbor center Marriott for the most part. They stay with they Chris. Have a hookup. They, they don't want to stay here. <laughs> no. Yeah. They're not, they, the, they're not the welcome there. <laughs> is the, <laughs> the Marriott is the spot typically for those yeah. guys, but what's it, it, it can be a really lousy situation when you're sent down. If you're, you know, if you're a guy that has planned to be in Buffalo, a Vinny Henestrosa, mm -hmm. and you're sent down, or Riley Sheehan, probably be a good example of last year, ended up wanting to be, you know, re released of his contract in part yeah. because he had a young child at home, and you know his wife here in Buffalo, they got a place in Buffalo. And he gets sent down to Rochester and he's trying to commute and he's, you know, doing a, it. That's just not going to work. So um, he was from St. Catharines originally too. So it could have in theory been a easier pill to swallow, but I don't know where his wife was from originally. I'm not sure, but yeah, it's they a, bounced around, right? He was Detroit. He was all over the place. It so can be probably not. Probably not I feel like going the other way is worse than coming up when you're a young oh, guy and you're for sure. It's like, throw me in the hotel with the boys and you know, cause there's some guys that are probably still in that hotel. Great to see the boys. Ev says great to see you, Ev and everyone else at made great to be seen tonight. Great to be seen. That's right. Let's see. We already hit a lot of these early on a lot of the Pat Kane ones. If you miss that part of the conversation, you can go back. I'm still for it. Even though I think the Sabres uh, opportunity could be dwindling. Is it just me? We didn't get to this one. Did we? Kevin asks, is it just me or is power struggling big time? Um, I have a thought on this. Like, yeah, he's not playing up to the level, I think, that we saw from him consistently last year. I don't think it's as bad as it's made out to be on social media. He's not. He's kind of in between. It's not as bad as some of the comments you read. It often, it rarely is, though. But um, he's not, he has some... We know that he's better than what he's shown at the same time. And I'm really curious to see if the Ryan Johnson pairing helps unlock the better parts of Owen Powers game, if they are indeed a pair. Yeah, we'll see if they're a pair or if that was a placeholder and Yoki Haru jumps back in there. But I think 
there's some merit to the struggles. Kind of like I talked about earlier in the year, you want to see just a little bit more physical engagement, right? And we're not talking about, this is probably not a guy that's going to be throwing the huge hits, but at that size, just boxing guys out a little bit better and yeah. winning more battles in front consistently is what I want to see. And I think it's why the social media chatter becomes what it does because it's noticeable, right? Mm -hmm. It's, I don't think he's timid, but he doesn't no, but uh, it's, effectively use the natural gifts that he's been given. And you can, you can see it on replays, right? You can see it on goals. It's not other parts of his game that are subtle, you know, his ability to break the puck out, his, you know, ability to, you know, play drive and generate things. It's, a lot of times you see the goals and you say, who's at fault for this goal, right? You know, let's look around and see who's at fault. And at times it's it's power and at times it's noticeable stuff like just boxing guys out or being better in front. Stuff that should come with time, even though he's huge, learning to use that size and develop the mentality to go along with the size. He's 20 years old. He's going up against grown men who have been doing it for yeah. a long time. And he'll, he will be 21 here pretty soon. He'll be... Mm -hmm. He'll be able to put some Baileys in his coffee uh, here pretty legally, soon. anyways. So maybe that'll yeah. uh, maybe that'll help him. Um, here we'll go uh, just a real like a uh, rapid fire here. I'll we'll throw up because we have back to back here from Matt Soda. He said when we were talking about Linus Allmark, he said Linus Allmark or Linus Allmark. <laughs> Linus Allmark is before Matt's time in Buffalo, let alone on the Sabres beat. But yes, a, uh, the shootout wizard, Linus Omar, who's still playing in the SHL, I believe. I want to say I just watched the game where he was playing. I had three games on today. I'll talk about those on Prospect Avenue. Um, if we want a more positive topic, can we talk about J.J. Paterka? We've talked about Paterka quite a bit on this podcast, going back to preseason. Vastly improved player, bigger, stronger. I think he's a guy... You know, what we talked about, man, at the top of the conversation, getting all these guys start pulling equal parts, you know, pulling their weight equally. This Paterk is a guy that's set up, I think, to really take a big step in terms of breaking off more responsibility, being more of a leader on this team, being a vital part of the attack, especially if Tuck's not all the way back physically. That's more, not pressure, opportunity for a guy like Paterka to take it, run with it. And he was still with Middlestat. Yes. And I think maybe there's you know a chance for him to to make an impact on the power play you know maybe you know he's been on he's been driving that second unit and the second unit's been better than the first unit but i will say this about paterka that i have not mentioned on on previous episodes that we've heaped praise on on jj paterka i'm glad you brought up leadership because he that confidence has been noticeable to me. Just seeing him around the room in conversations, talking to him, much different than last year. Uh, a certain confidence and, and initiative about him, and and just uh, you know little things that make me think that he is ready to. He's not a rah rah leader, but to drive driving play and being willing to you know the confidence is really showing up for him, and that could be that could be real powerful as he steps into likely like everybody in the forward group, a bigger role. I'm eager to see what he does here with Thompson out. Um, 
but no, it's a good call out by Matt, you know, more positive topic topic. He's definitely been uh, one of the brighter lights consistently this season. Other than that, you know, I didn't do, I just want to get a quick note here for those that come to this channel. I didn't do a prospect Avenue this week. Again, I'm missing my camera. I do have a setup now where I can actually throw one together. Maybe uh, over the weekend, or I might just wait until early next week. But we did see Anton Wahlberg and Noah Austin last week. I'll be talking about them. Wahlberg uh, was really good. Playing with Noah Austin on the same line in an under-25 Nations event last week. We'll uh, we'll talk about that because both those guys came back to work today when the uh, SHL play resumed. Had Wahlberg's game on. He just looks so good at that level. Um, I'm going to be talking about him a lot, but I'm excited to see. Uh, I went into that under 25 nations event saying, okay, he's got a lot of competition. Let's see how he does. And I think he really, and again, I don't know anything. There's a lot that can change between now and the tournament. It's only, you know, 40 days away or so from the start of the tournament, but I, I like him. I mean, when they put him on that top line for two of the games, I think he skated opposite Jonathan Lekaramaki, who is their lead forward. So if that gives you any indication how they're going to use Wahlberg, that's I think that says a lot, and he's one of the youngest guys on that team. So I'll talk more about that in Prospect Avenue, but I, I did have to sprinkle in a little prospect talk on here because I didn't do the podcast this week, even though we did talk about Matthew Savoy, but there is a lot going on, um, and I look forward to getting organized with a prospect uh, podcast on this channel. So look out for that. Give me a couple of days. I'd rather get the new camera set up. I don't like this darkness. It's still pissing me off and I can't figure out like I'm moving around and every now and then I'll get brighter and then it goes away. I've given up. I don't care at this point. I'm just enjoying the Bailey's buzz. So other than that, Matthew, I think that's it. We're uh hour and a half. I think that's a good place to stop. So quick recap. What do we learn today? <laughs> we learned a lot. We Chris. learned a lot today. Yeah. Actually, I'm not going to recap it. Go back and watch it, right. please. Um, <laughs> now, I'm really curious. Paterka is one of the guys, like I said, this team, that was a great call out, I think, early on when you were kind of just going through what does the Thompson injury mean to this team? It's going to be a group effort. I think that's the only way to slice it. I'm eager to see. when And this early in the season, Matthew, the Sabres are coming off a stinker. They went into Ottawa. Everyone, I think, thought that Ottawa was just going to clean their clocks. That's when I put that. I was going to, I wanted to put that sizable bet. I want to talk about the amount, but I was serious. I wanted to put that sizable bet on the Sabres because it was one of those games that when everyone thinks they're not going to perform well, they go out and win. That might be the same type of setup in this Winnipeg game. I'm not going to ask you for a prediction, but I can see them going in tough place to play. It's got that low ceiling. It's really loud. You know, I can not see so tough this year. them going in there. Yeah, down, right. On the bottom of the league in attendance, it's averaging a little over eleven thousand a game. But they played well there last year. Look, I feel like you know there's a lot of stuff from last year that has not translated to this year. But this team loved getting on the road last yeah. year, and I think it's as simple as you've got the youngest team in hockey in these long road trips. What a good time, right? Like you're you're all together. You're it brings you back to those road trips, you know. Except you're in luxury and you're, you know, living it the NHL way. And I thought the point was interesting today by Don Granado about having more time to coach because you're around them for longer than just the you know three four hours a day, whatever it is. And that the conversations that happen uh, on the road, the the team building. 
normally you would have had a longer trip by this point in the schedule. And I think it might have been part of their strategy for staying in Chicago the extra couple of days instead of coming home is to manufacture one of these long trips. And then they'll have another one. They'll come home for a Friday game, Black Friday. Then they go on the road again. I believe it's New Jersey, New York. They'll come back and then they'll go on the for one practice and they'll come back on the road, St. Louis and Carolina. So they're going to get a lot of time on the road. They're going to get, and they like, they like the road. So uh, this is a make or break stretch of seven of eight on the road. Seven of their, seven of their next eight are on the road. So this is kind of that, you know, that prove it stretch and they love to do it on the road. So we'll see if that translates, but key time, key time for this group in a lot of ways. Sometimes they just got to get away from you and Hoppy and Jordan and Harrington, you know, you know they'll probably get Lance. They'll probably get Lance on this trip because I don't think Harrington is with the seniority. I think they're splitting it. I think they're splitting Oh, really? Oh, so wow, okay. they'll have to, you know, get <laughs> only a small dose of each. Um, <laughs> but I did, I did make a point because I asked Donnie the question, you know, what the benefit can be of one of these extended trips. And as soon as he left, I said, you know, it was real polite of Donnie to not mention getting away from us being one of the benefits, but I'm sure it's, uh, not a, not a, you know, insignificant because he was aware of it. He said, you know, see you guys in a week. You know, he was aware that, uh, he'd be taking some, but I think there is probably, you know, there's, you know, and Alex Tuck caught himself real quick, but he mentioned, you know, it's just the boys out there. You're not, you know, there's no family spouses. He's like, spouses are great. But yeah, yeah. He, caught him, he caught himself really quick, but there is something to that. You eliminate all the distraction and it's like, all right, let's figure out what the hell is going wrong and get things steered in the right direction. Look, you have to look at it that way. If you're the Sabres, right? Just like I said about the Tage Thompson injury, you have to look at it as a, how can this be a benefit? How can this help us figure yeah. out who needs to step up or who can do certain things that maybe they weren't asked to do before? How can this help the power play figure out alternative ways to score? And how can this road trip, you know, help snap them out of the funk? I think it's very clear that the home ice advantage doesn't really exist yet for this team the way they would want it to, but the road ice advantage definitely existed last year. And they're going to get, uh, they're going to Winnipeg at the right time. I just checked the weather. It's going to be a balmy 40 degrees tomorrow. That's a nice summer day in Winnipeg. When so, I was there last year, it was not. I was on that trip last year and because I went to check in on Matt Savoy. And mm-hmm. it was not 40 degrees. It was January, late January, and it was miserable. Yeah. Your uh, yam bag is still thawing out from that <laughs> one, huh? Yeah, it probably will be uh, for, <laughs> for many, for plenty of days to come. It was a cold one. Uh, well, on that note, I, on that topic, I think that's probably a good place to stop. Matthew Fairburn talking about your nether regions um last call on the chat and we'll wrap it up tuck has a baby due soon too according to kevin he does around mid-december and that is uh it's gonna be a lot of baby swag in the uh in the saber locker room so that also is gonna fall around the time of a road trip so something to keep an eye on as well all right well, I think that's a good place to stop. Um, thanks, everyone, for hopping in. Unannounced, we usually do these after games. We thought we'd throw a little curveball out there tonight. 
Um, so there's going to be some people disappointed that didn't see this one coming tonight. Now they're going to have to go back and go old school and check it out on YouTube or traditional audio listening. They'll have to subscribe um, on Apple, Spotify, gonna, Google Play, or wherever they get their podcasts to the Baker Favorite Hockey Tro show as we yeah, shoot so up the charts, Chris. That's right. Thanks to our loyalists. No, it's been the response has been really good. We don't do it without our loyal uh, listeners and viewers. So thanks everyone again. And um, we will uh, let you know next time when we're coming. We're still kind of, we're it's still early. Like the Sabres, Matt and I are also still figuring things out, but we're moving in the right direction. <laughs> so, um, all right, everyone. Forging our identity as a podcast. You oh, say. you know what? There, yeah, we'll do it next time. Someone asked what we think Renato thinks his team's identity is. I didn't get to that comment. I apologize to that gentleman. Let's talk about that the next time. Let's see how they do on the road trip. But I, that's on me. That's on me. If there was a super chat and someone threw five bucks out there for, to get their question answered, <laughs> I would refund them the five bucks. <laughs> Put it that way because I totally skipped over it. Not by, uh, not on purpose. All right, everyone. Thanks again for Matthew Fairburn, for the production crew out in front of my house. I'm Chris Baker. We'll see you next week. <laughs>